It's a beautiful morning. Yes, it is. And this is The Daily Answer, your host, Mark Dunnigan. The book of Acts, immediately as you start into it, you can tell it's a sequel. You've seen the same language in the book of Luke, particularly you compare Luke 1, 1 through 4 with Acts 1, 4. Ah, this is a continuation. Luke, here's what Jesus did while he's upon earth. Acts, here's what happened after he left. Or here's the rest of the story. And in this chapter, we find that Jesus had shown himself alive to his disciples with many infallible proofs. That is, he showed up and he ate lunch. Okay, we're not seeing a vision. It's not a hallucination when food disappears, you guys. <laughs> okay, but you know that we're not having a hallucination on that one. And you would find that in verse three. Tells them not to leave Jerusalem. The promise of the Holy Spirit coming upon them that he had spoken of is going to happen quickly. And there are going to be there are going to be his witnesses. Uh, that's why I don't call myself a witness. I don't talk about witnessing because in the New Testament, a witness was someone who had heard and seen. Uh, someone who had seen Jesus after he was raised from the dead. That's not me. I'm more on the jury. And so they're the witnesses. Holy Spirit comes upon them. And they're going to go out and spread the gospel through, well, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, remotest part of the earth. And that would be verse 8. And then he leaves. He ascends into heaven. And they're gathered in an upper room. And we need to do, we need to uh, replace Judas, who had hung himself, the son of perdition. And so that's all taken care of. And then in chapter two, Holy Spirit comes upon the apostles and they begin to speak in tongues. That is clearly the text is indicating they're speaking in real languages that people understand. But here are men that are Galileans and they're speaking fluently in all these different dialects. That catches the attention of the crowd. And you will find that in six, seven, eight. Eh, There's some people they sit there saying, ah, oh, they're drunk with sweet wine, but that's the minority. That's the scoffers. That's the people that are not paying attention. Peter taking a stand with the 11 begins to give this sermon. The first thing he does is he cites a prophecy with Joel in verse 17. And Joel's prophecy was in the last days. And Peter says, this is that. So Acts 2 is the beginning of the last days. And that period of time will last until Jesus returns. That is, this is the last era upon the earth. This is the last, you might say, dispensation. You could call it the Christian age or the gospel age. This is the final covenant that God has with man, the new covenant. All right. In 21, it says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And we'll find out, well, what's involved in common calling upon the name of the Lord. Then the Holy Spirit start through Peter starts laying out all these evidences that Jesus is the Christ. And one would be verse 22. He worked miracles. And you guys saw those miracles. Okay, there's one proof. 23, he was delivered up by God's determined plan. So his death was not an accident. His death is not to be interpreted that he was weak or powerless. All right. His death was part of God's predetermined plan to save man. And that had been planned before the foundation of the world, 1 Peter chapter 1 and in verse 20. 24, God raised him from the dead. Okay, it's one thing to say that. 
But man, can you prove it? Peter, can you prove that? Well, he does. And here's how he proves it. Okay, first evidence. In Psalm 16, David spoke of one whose soul was not left in Hades and whose flesh did not see corruption. That's a resurrection. A resurrection is where you die and your soul does not stay in the realm of the dead and your body doesn't see any corruption in the grave. Now, the only question had been, of whom is David speaking? Because David was speaking the first person in Psalm 16. And Peter makes the point, well, David's not talking about himself. Well, why? Because David's dead still, <laughs> buried. In fact, his tomb is with us to this day. That's what the text says. David was spoken of speaking of someone else. David was speaking of his descendant, of the Messiah. All right. So the first proof would be that the Old Testament anticipated it or prophesied about it. Okay. There's going to be one whose soul is not left in the Hadean realm. And, and Hadean realm does not mean hell. Hadean realm in the book of Luke is a place of paradise and torment. Jesus told the thief on the cross, today you'll be with me in paradise. So that's what we're talking about. And your body doesn't see decay. All right, that's a resurrection where the soul is reunited with the body. That's the first proof. Now, the second proof is verse 32. This Jesus God raised up again to which we are all witnesses. That is, we saw him after he was raised from the dead. Okay, you can say that. Okay, yeah, 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 yeah. A lot of people say things. Okay, but there's something different about these people. Uh, these people are miraculously speaking in all sorts of different dialects and languages right now that they had never, ever studied. Okay, now you, you got to deal with that one. And a sound has taken place in Jerusalem of a mighty rushing wind, and this takes place. So... Not only that, not only that, but in the days and weeks that follow, these men who said, we saw Jesus alive after he died, are working miracles. And you will find that in verse 43. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe, and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. I mean, yeah, I, I'm just I'm just not going to believe someone says, oh, I saw this people after they I saw this person after they died, you know, right. But if the person if the person starts speaking, you know, like every language of the sun and I can tell like, well, you know, they didn't go to college and they're not the most educated person, which the apostles were not. OK, they were from Galilee area, not known for its uh, intellectuals. And if they start raising the dead and healing, the, healing the lame around me. Okay, they got my attention. <laughs> and that's the that was the purpose of the miracles. Verse 22 calls them wonders. You know, I mean, they would really cause you to think. Uh, they, they were displays of God's power. They were signs. And what the miracles were designed to do is like, hey, hey, this guy here, he just raised, he's just raised someone from the dead. He just healed the man that had been lame for 46 years. And everyone knew that man. And everyone knew he'd been lame for 46 years. Uh, you might want to listen to what he has to say. Because God's speaking through him. All right. So I really like this idea that God does not expect us to gullibly believe a person. It's, it, it, the faith in the Bible is not cross your fingers. Hope that's the case. Okay. 
it's not just it's not like just optimism you know like well that's a nice thing to believe rather it's you're given evidence you're given proofs and okay what do you do with that that's what faith is built on evidence okay there we go there we go here's an argument from scripture here's a miracle etc there's your evidence the case is being built what do i do with that so that's the second proof and the third proof is what was happening that day through the holy spirit verse 33 having received from the father the promise of the holy spirit he has poured forth this what you both see and hear that is we are the followers of Jesus. If he was still in the tomb and if he was a fake, then none of this should be happening. The very fact that the Holy Spirit has been poured out upon us is proof that he's the real deal. He was raised from the dead and he's at God's right hand. All right. That would be another proof. So we lay down we lay down evidence after evidence after evidence and in verse 34 and 35 we have that familiar psalm 110 the lord said to my lord david's lord you know uh, the lord god says to david's lord david's lord is the messiah he might say the father says to the son who would be david's lord sit at my right hand until i make thine enemies a footstool for thy feet therefore let all the house of israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom he crucified. Verse 37, when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart. And in the Bible, we find that people are, well, they're pierced or pricked to the heart, but it can, it goes, it goes one of two ways. In Acts 7, people heard Stephen's speech and were pierced to the heart and they killed the preacher, made him mad. Here, the people are pierced to the heart and it, um, made them humble, made them eager to listen. It made them eager to change. And so they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? So when you hear something and, and it calls upon you to confront something in your life and you say, what shall we do? It means you have been convicted by it. It means that you believe. And so it's interesting in this section of scripture, we have no mention of the need to believe or faith, but it's inferred there. What shall we do? That's faith. And Peter said to them, repent, which changed your life. Get the sin out of your life. Move towards God. Do what God wants you to do. Get rid of what God doesn't want you to do. And each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Each one of you. That is, no one can be baptized for you. Do not buy into this idea that, first of all, don't buy into the idea that you can be baptized for somebody else. Secondly, don't buy into this idea that the person believing is not the person being baptized. You can't believe for your kids and then have them baptized, okay? No, no, no. The same person being baptized is the same person repenting. It's the same person believing. It's the same person that has heard, okay? No one can do that for you. No one can believe for you, repent for you, confess for you, and no one can be baptized in your place. You're not going to find any scripture to support that. And if you don't find a scripture to support it, leave it alone, <laughs> okay? Because we know how God feels about people adding to his word. You get the plagues added to you if you do that. 
Revelation 22, 18 through 19. Now, he goes on for a little bit here. And he exhorted them, like in verse 40, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. I've told you what to do. Be saved. Repent and be baptized. Save yourselves. It's for the remission of sins. So then those who had received his word were baptized. Ah, ah, ah. Interesting. The people that were baptized that day were the people that accepted the message, which means the people that were not baptized that day were the people that did not accept the message. So if you hear the gospel and say, but I'm not going to be baptized, you haven't accepted the message, no matter what you claim. Well, yeah, I've heard it and I believe it, but I'm not going to be baptized. No, you haven't believed it. The text is very clear. Not until these people were baptized could it really be said they accepted or received or embraced the sermon that day. Now, let's go back a little bit. Repent. They were told, they said, what shall we do? Interesting, Peter did not say, well, there's nothing you can do. You know, all you, uh, you know it's, it's by faith alone or grace alone or whatever. Nope, there's none of that. When they said, what shall we do? Peter did not say, oh, no, no, no. You're under the wrong impression. You're, you're thinking that this is by works. Okay, he didn't say that. He said, repent and be baptized for the remission of your sins. And here's the thing that struck me. After hearing that, I don't find any record of someone coming up to Peter or the other apostles with the question. So, got a question. It sounds like you're saying that you need to repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. Is that what you're saying? Nobody had that question. You know, I heard that sermon and I got a question. It just sounds like you were saying that you need to be baptized for the remission of your sins. Nobody, nobody asked that question. Why? <laughs> well, because it was so clear. It's so obvious. And Peter would probably look at you like you had a hole in your head. That's what I said. Why do you have a question about that? I don't understand your question. So if you balk at baptism, okay, if you read this passage going like, oh, no, I've got a question here about kind of sounds like he's saying that I need to be baptized to have my sins forgiven. Nobody asked that question on that day. I don't understand your question. That was not their question. Nobody had that question. Everyone understood completely what Peter had said. What do you do? You repent and you're baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. Nobody here is under the illusion that they're okay right then. No one here is under the illusion that since they said, men and brother, what shall we do, that that saves them at that point. Everyone understood that what Peter was saying is that unless you repent and be baptized, your sins have not been forgiven. Unless you repent and be baptized, you've, you've not called upon the name of the Lord. Remember Joel's prophecy? Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. What, what were these people told to do to be saved? Repent and be baptized. If you haven't been baptized for the forgiveness of your sins, you've never called upon the name of the Lord, and you have not received his word. Verse 41. And you haven't been added. Because verse 41 says, upon baptism, 
Upon baptism, that day, 3,000 souls were added. And 47 says, and the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. That's the King James. Even if you don't have the King James, you know it's the church because what does verse 42 say? What did the people that were added do continually? Well, they were devoted to the apostles' teaching. They were there listening to sermons. And fellowship, okay? Breaking of bread, that's communion. And prayer, what's that? That's a church, <laughs> okay? All right. And this is the establishment of the church that Jesus said he would establish, Matthew 16, 18. And it came into existence on the, Pen on the Pentecost in the first century after the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's when the church came into existence. Wow. That's the church you should want to be a member of. That's the church that you should be interested in. Not a denomination, not something that man made, okay? But the church that Jesus said is his bride the church that he died for. And to enter that relationship, there's not any voting going on or whatever, to enter that relationship, to have your sins forgiven. You hear the gospel, you believe it, what should we do? You repent of your sins and you're told to be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. And upon that baptism, you are added by the Lord himself, not to a denomination, to his church a church that you can read about in the Bible. Well, that'll give you something to think on today. Yeah, that will give you something to kind of chew on for the rest rest of the day. No, we are not handing out any cinnamon-flavored toothpicks, though. Yep, this is Mark for today's Daily Answer. Until next time, we'll see you in the funny papers.